Ruth, the 38th chapter, verses 1 through 7, and this is also the sermon text for this morning. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will ask you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. And our second reading is found in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in manners related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sin as well as the sins of of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called but God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son. Today I am your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned disobedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. Would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Have you ever just wanted to punch God in the face? Maybe you're thinking, no, and Pastor, I didn't really want to hear you say that from the pulpit. But think about it. I know that sounds out of place as we've gathered here to give praise and honor to God this morning. But think about those times when you're not in church, when things aren't going so great, when life seems a little dim. Think about those times of suffering and trial that you've faced in your life. Maybe it was your own hardship or suffering or the hardship of somebody that you know and love. How did you feel toward God in times like that? I mean, after all, this God that we serve, we say He is all-powerful and that He is all-loving. And if that's true, then we would think that if if this God has the power to do whatever He wants, and if, if He really cares for us, then why would He allow us to suffer? Why would He allow anyone to suffer? I don't know, maybe you've had that feeling before, maybe you haven't, but maybe you at least know someone who has. A few months ago, I was listening to a podcast online. If you're not familiar with that, you know, it's sort of like an a radio show on the internet. People can record things and you can go and listen to them. You can listen to my sermons as a podcast online. I was listening to this podcast called The Three Philosophers. And it's these three guys who get together and talk about different kind of philosophical things, you know, the existence of God and, and different things like this. And uh, in this, this one particular episode that I listened to, they were talking about what evidence might exist for whether or not there is a God. And the three guys who are part of this uh, podcast, one of them is an atheist and thinks the idea of God, especially the Christian God, is just completely absurd. And the other two guys are Christians. The one guy is a devout Roman Catholic, but the other one was the son of an evangelical pastor. He's an adult now, but he, he grew up as a, as a preacher's kid and has gone through some serious wrestling and serious questioning in his faith and has come to kind of an odd place. And as he talked about what he believes and you know, whether or not God exists, I thought that what he said was really interesting. He said that, you know, I don't have any problem believing that God, that there might be a God, that there probably is a God. But he said, you know, the problem isn't whether or not God exists. The problem is that if God does exist, that half the time I just want to punch him in the face. And he said that as he talked about the kind of suffering that exists in our world. All the suffering that he's seen in his lifetime, not necessarily to himself, but to others around him. And he's just asked himself the question, you know, if, if God really does care for us, and if, if God really is so powerful, then how could he be such a jerk to let these kind of things happen in our world. Now, I don't know how you respond to that. I mean, maybe for us as, you know, church-going folk who spend a lot of time praising God and are thankful for the things that God has done in our life, it, it may be difficult for us to think about God in that way, to see God in that light. Or I don't know, maybe you've felt that way before. Maybe you've been 
angry with God because of the way that things have happened in your life. But I know that when I come to the book of Job, as we heard our sermon text from this morning, I can kind of relate to that emotion. I mean, after all, look at the story that we have in this book of the Bible. The God that is presented in the book of Job is offensive. This story is is remarkable. This God in the book of Job makes deals with Satan. There's this whole conversation between God and, and Satan at the beginning of the book where God asks Satan where he's been and he says, I've been roaming back and forth across the earth. And then God says, have you considered my servant Job? How faithful and how righteous he is. And so there's this whole conversation between God and Satan about Job. And of course, if you know the story, you know that as it goes on, God allows some terrible things to happen to Job. All of his children are killed. He loses all of his wealth, which was quite great. And even his own health is taken from him. He's covered with boils. And this is all done as some test between God and Satan. It almost seems like there's a game going on here. It almost seems like God is kind of dangling Job out there like bait in front of Satan when he says, Have you considered my servant Job? And it's that question that leads to all of the suffering for Job. This tremendous suffering. When I read this story, it, it makes you wonder about the kind of of God that we serve. I mean, this is anything but a comfortable image of God. The image of God in the book of Job is offensive. It offends our sense of justice, our our sense of fairness, our sense of what God should be like. I mean, what kind of God invites affliction and suffering upon the most righteous and faithful of His servants? This is not exactly the kind of God that we think about when we think about proclaiming the love of God to our neighbor. It's not the kind of God that I really want to preach about. It's not the kind of God that we want to think about when we're the ones who are suffering. When we find ourselves in a place like Job found himself. This God in the book of Job seems terribly unjust, unfair, even capricious and almost uncaring about His most faithful servants. And so, as we read on through the book of Job, we can can understand Job's complaint. We can understand why with speech after speech with his three friends, Job just wants God to show up. He just wants God to appear and and explain what it is that's happening. He just wants an explanation. Because Job knows that he's done nothing wrong. He knows that he has been righteous and faithful. He knows that he is not deserving of the suffering. He just wants God to show up and explain Himself. 
Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you just want God to show up and tell you what in the world He's thinking? What in the world is going on? Why He's letting this happen? Well, in the book of Job, God does show up. It's in chapters 38 to 41 of this book. And what we read as our sermon text this morning, there at the beginning of chapter 38, is the beginning of God's response to Job and his three friends. But it's not exactly the kind of response that Job was hoping for that we might expect. God doesn't show up and and explain why the suffering is taking place. He, He doesn't lay everything out in a nice, neat formula for Job so that he can understand it. He doesn't even mention the, the conversation that he's had with Satan and that this whole thing was just a test. In fact, God's answer to Job really isn't an answer at all. Job asked why he is suffering, why this suffering has come upon him even though he has been righteous and faithful. But God changes the question. He doesn't come to answer Job's question. Instead, he comes with some questions of his own. In fact, much of chapters 38 to 41 is just question after question that God is asking Job. Questions like, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Or questions like, have you ever once commanded the morning or caused the dawn to know its place? God asked Job, do you know where the rain and the hail are, are stored? Do you know how the, all the earth works? How these different creatures do all the things that they do? God's response to Job goes on for several chapters with question after question. But it can pretty much all be summed up like this. God is saying, I am God, and you are not. I don't know, maybe you find that answer satisfying. Maybe that does it for you. Maybe just the fact that God is God and that we're not is enough for you. But I've got to be honest. I don't really like God's answer to Job. It bothers me. It is offensive to me that God would treat someone, the God that we serve, the God that we say loves us, and cares for us, would treat someone the way that he treats Job. And it's maddening to think that God allowed Job's children to be killed. All ten children to die. Just as a part of this test, this contest with Satan. And then on top of that, when God does show up, He doesn't even tell Job what's going on. That doesn't sound like a terribly loving God to me. That kind of God doesn't conform to my ideas of justice and mercy and compassion and all the other things that I've come to associate with God. But as hard of a pill as it might be to swallow, I think that's pretty much the point. 
that God doesn't conform to any of our ideas. Not even the most noble ones. That God will not be put in a box. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still believe that God is a God of justice and a God of mercy and compassion. I believe that because Job is not the only book of the Bible. And that over and over and over again throughout Scripture, we see that God cares deeply about justice. That He Himself is just. And that He cares greatly about justice in our world. And that as we heard about in some of our music this morning, that He is gracious and loving. I still believe that. Because the rest of Scripture testifies to that repeatedly. And ultimately, we see this tremendous love in Jesus Christ as He is willing to go to the cross to make that sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice to save us. So I believe that God is a God of love because the book of Job is not the only book in the Bible. But the book of Job does remind us that God is God and that we are not. And that as a result, God does not conform to our preconceived notions. God doesn't conform to our ideas of what He should be like. Not even ideas as important to God's character as justice and righteousness. The God of the book of Job, the God that we serve, will not be limited by any of our human concepts or ideas because He is God and we are not. And I can assure you that any time that we think that we've got God figured out, any time we think we've got Him pinned down or explained or that we can understand Him completely, then we can be sure that it's not God that we're dealing with the God of the Bible, the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ, has made Himself known to us. And yet, we cannot understand Him completely. He is and will always continue to be a mystery. You know, this passage in the book of Job actually reminds me of another passage in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 3. In that chapter, God comes to Moses and tells Moses that he is going to use them to lead the people of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. And God and Moses have this long conversation with each other where where Moses is protesting against God. He's telling God, I I can't do this. I don't don't want to do this. And he comes up with objection after objection. And one of the questions that Moses asks God is he says, well, when I go to the elders of Israel... Who should I tell them has sent me? And God's response is interesting. He says, Tell them I am who I am has sent you. See, God refuses to give a name. Which is interesting because in the ancient world, being able to name something often was a symbol of having power over it. To be able to name something was to be able to manipulate and control it. So when God refuses to give Moses a name, He is saying that you can't control me. In fact, in the Hebrew, 
it more precisely translates, I will be who I will be. This God that we serve is radically free to be whoever He wants to be and to do whatever He wants to do. Because He is God. And we cannot limit Him. We cannot control Him. We cannot manipulate Him or box Him in with our ideas about who He should be. He will be who He will be. As hard as it can be to admit sometimes, we serve an offensive God. Not because God isn't loving or or merciful or compassionate or caring. God is all of those things. But God is offensive because He doesn't conform to our ideas of love and mercy and compassion and justice. Instead, our faith must be one. Not where we are making God in our image, but where God is shaping us and molding us into His image. So that we might be a reflection of of His love in everything that we do. By no means will it always make sense to us. Our faith is not a nice, neat formula where we can figure out what everything means or or know the complete mystery of God. But our faith is submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and recognizing that no matter the circumstances, No matter what happens, He is God. He is in charge. And we are not. Now receive the benediction. May our God and Father conform us to the obedience and image of His Son through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we as a people might bring glory to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.